And now, the BC Food and Wine Radio Network presents Anthony Gizmondi and Casey Wilson. This is BC Food and Wine Radio, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Now, here's Anthony and Casey. Hello, British Columbia, and welcome to today's show. I'm Tony Gizmondi. Casey Wilson continues on assignment this week. On the show today, we're featuring a Valley First Credit Union special edition. It's a focus on some very interesting people in the Okanagan wine business who come from a variety of backgrounds yet have one thing in common. They're all making wine, and they're loving doing it. We've got some virtual traveling to do today as we touch base with two of Kelowna's most intriguing winemakers, as well as a stop on the Naramata Bench and the Similkameen Valley. We'll speak with Heidi Noble, owner, winemaker, Joie Farm in Naramata. Also on the show, former school teacher and now owner winemaker at Orofino Winery in the Similkameen, John Weber, is our guest. Then it's off to Kelowna for a conversation with Ann Sperling of Sperling Vineyards. And how about this story? Uh, he was on tour with his punk rock band 21 years ago, but the van broke down without a vehicle and in need of a solid job, he walked into a winery. Lucky for him, the owner was crazy enough to make him a winemaker after two months and the rest, as they say, is history. Up next, Jason Parks of the Hatch Winery on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. British Columbia's wine growing history dates back generations, and today it's one of the more prominent regions on the worldwide wine stage. With Save On Foods, you can find the world's largest collection in one place. With more than 1,500 wines from over 180 BC VQA wineries, the unique tastes of our province have never been more convenient. Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Browse the entire collection now at saveonfoods.com and discover all the different wines our province has to offer. If you're a wine lover and you're ready for something new, try a little long-distance therapy. It's the wine club four out of four wine lovers would probably agree on. With 15% off therapy wine, discounted shipping, 20% off regular seasonal rates at the Inn at Therapy Vineyards, access to exclusive library wines, and more. Click therapyvineyards.com and choose your tier and frequency of delivery and sit back and wait as some of the Okanagan's finest is delivered direct to your door. Sign up today at therapyvineyards.com. Red Rooster Winery invites you on a sensory journey from grape to glass. Savor the sweeping vineyard, lake, and mountain views from their cozy estate tasting room on Naramata Bench. This month, they're featuring their award-winning and estate-grown Reserve Malbec, the perfect bold red to complement any occasion. Seated tastings are offered Thursday through Monday from 11 till 5 this winter. Come for the views, stay for the wine. Visit redroosterwinery.com for more info. It's a new normal. My husband and I want to get away. Need something to look forward to. So we decided to book a weekend away at a European wellness resort right here in BC. Plan an escape without leaving the province at Sparkling Hill Resort. Overlooking the beautiful Okanagan Valley. Relax and focus on your health and wellness at this luxury resort. Check out the immersive wellness packages available and learn more about this undiscovered gem today at sparklinghill.com. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson.
We're back, British Columbia. I'm Tony Gismondi. Casey Wilson is off this week. Joining us is Jason Parks. He's the winemaker at The Hatch in West Kelowna. Peachland-born Jason Parks is really an Okanagan success story, and there's little doubt the winemaker marches to the beat of his own drum. But then so does the offbeat, tattooed back-of-the-house Hatch team who don't look anything like your typical assistant winemakers. From the day it opened, the West Kelowna winery has been different a philosophy of diversity, authenticity, individuality. It all takes them up and down the Okanagan Valley in search of derelict vineyards and high-quality fruit. At the Hatch uh, headquarters, we caught up with uh, Jason and the crew to talk about the obvious progress this idiosyncratic hipster winery is making in an ultra-conservative business and find out what everyone is yelping about. Here's our chat with the Hatch's Jason Parks. Jason, how are you today? I'm good. Good, guys. How are you? Great. Uh, we're great. I, I thought I, you'd be sleeping today. Uh, are you, You're almost finished the harvest or you're done or you, have you had enough of 2020? I don't I don't sleep much, um, but harvest is, is almost done. We've got a couple blocks down south getting picked today and on the weekend, and then we're all wrapped up. So Yeah. And, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting year for sure. Character building, uh, I guess. <laughs> character building, is a, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I like that. Uh, Jason, how did I want to figure out how you ended up becoming a winemaker? Because I know that when you were quite young, you got involved in the music business. Uh, why don't you tell us how that evolved? <laughs> um, a lot of luck. I, I was I was on the road, and we had a little tour bus. And bands don't have much money, as any band guys know out there. And it broke down. My parents lived in Peachland, so we had no work for a while. So I, I went there in hopes to find a job because I was trying to be the responsible one to get the money to fix the van. And I walked into a winery, and they hired me. And after a very short period of time, um, I say it kindly, they, they were crazy enough and kind enough to uh, let the winemaker move on and uh, made me a winemaker. And it was a crazy move on their behalf, and I was there for seven years trying wow. to figure it out still trying to figure it out yeah so very 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 lucky because i am didn't know what else i would do with my life i i kind of dropped out of school grade 10 grade 11 in there to play music with my beautiful long hair that is now gone <laughs> away and touring a band and that was my dream i was a real dreamer i guess i still am a dreamer that's why we're building interesting or silly things i'm not sure which one it is yet but um i was very lucky that that place gave me a career and a, and a whole new look on life. But you, you were such a young kid to tour in a band. You managed to get through all that. I mean, there's a lot of trappings in uh, in uh, punk yeah. music and rock music. Uh, you made it out the other end. That's got to be a, a source of pride. Yeah, and it's also like like I, I'm, I'm involved quite a bit now, and in, in, I'm not saying I'm good at that, but I do a lot of business stuff. Like I'm developing brands and building places and buying them and build like I'm doing a lot of business stuff and again I got no education but what I learned from being on the road and all those things I guess was a survival thing and it it what it taught me is I wouldn't be able to do what I do today at any level if it wasn't for living that way and going through life that way because it was rough there was times where I you know you're sleeping on some cardboard on the street type thing you know and now so everything I do achieve or wherever I get to it's not just like oh way to go it, it's a massive appreciation so yeah, it was a good well, a good life skill thing. You're still sure. close to uh, still close to cardboard. They're just cardboard boxes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, lots of them. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I'm interested. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, or you, maybe you could explain, is the art the art of making wine, the art of playing music. Have you found some symmetry, or is that just a bunch of uh, baloney? Or how, I mean, how does yeah, that come together? It, Did it help you? Not help you? I don't know. That I think I think it's a bit of baloney, but there's a bit of truth to it. Like for me, it's truth to it because I just again, I'm not like the, and I'm not. Nowadays, I've got a good crew of people. The company's growing, and I've got a lot of guys helping me with wine. But when I got going with it, it was truly a love and a passion, and it came. It did come from the heart, as cheesy as that sounds. And music mm-hmm. does as well. Um, but as far as like you know, they call winemakers rock stars, and like I, 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 I don't know. They're, they're two different things altogether. Like a good winemaker's a really damn good farmer. Yes. You know, yeah. a good a, a good rocker, well, he's probably just looking at himself in the mirror. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's... There's a lot more credibility to the winemakers out there doing what they're doing as opposed to the rock stars, put it that way. Yeah. So you... Uh, I see that you like to drink whiskey when you are uh, in the band or practicing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's my little thing to... Because i got to go from one part of my brain to another pretty busy doing what I do with my my day job which I love in in the wine industry and then all of a sudden I'm a singer in a band and I got a really good band like I'm definitely the the weak spot in the band but the band's really good so I've got to keep up with them and I I have to admit that I I lean a little bit on a a nice cocktail to get me to switch over to uh to the other side great and what's the name of the band and how can we listen to you uh the band's called proper man um, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Our new album's called 40 Elephants. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird new wave thing. I sing with a bit of a British accent because I'm trying to be somebody different when I do it. That character's name is Norm. It's not Jason anymore as much as that makes me sound like I got issues. It's, <laughs> it's a different character than my... Everyday life. <laughs> you do have issues, Jason. I love it. Uh, <laughs> let's talk just a bit about the hatch. It's quite an. It, I always describe it as an edgy place. Like it was a different idea. Like, what, did you sit down with? Like, how did you come up with that? Or what was the thinking about how the hatch would be hatched? I guess and and be a bit different than everybody else. Yeah. Well, it was. It's a combination of things. I always, when I got into the wine thing, I couldn't find my groove right away. Like I was after a couple of years, I have to do a winemaker's dinner or do something or talk to, you know, smart people like you guys on the radio. And I was very uncomfortable because I was just a punk. So I couldn't find a place to combine who I am with what I was doing, if that makes yeah. any sense. And I always wanted to do that. And the hatch was an opportunity to do that. But at the same time, it was working with other people. Like there's another great guy that I work with putting the hatch up named Jesse Harnden that helped a lot was by my side with confidence and ideas and helping that come together. And, like the hatch, at the end of the day, like it is that edgy, creative place to see if it worked, see if that would be accepted in the industry. It was a little test because that was only supposed to be a temporary wine shop. We're supposed to build a $5 million Quellsgate type thing up on the road. It was just to tie us over. And it, I shouldn't be giving out financials, but it, it turned over three hundred grand the first month, right? So we're like, okay, let's just keep the shed going. Wow. But the yeah. whole philosophy behind the hatch is that it's a place to build brands and art before the the location so it's to try different things and build brands and once they get to a certain point they leave it they they flew the coop or they they get hatched yeah. or you know we should have called it an incubator because it's a place for developing brands and then ideas and then moving them to a location and just have a wine shop there and have a centralized winemaking location like we, we now do we actually we're not at first estate where you you've been there before tony at first estate. Yep. so 
we have we have a new location where we actually have drains and it's nice and clean and so we can working on up, upping our game all the time on the wine side but we make I'm wines I'm happy to hear that now. I'm happy to hear that uh, but it has attracted yeah. a lot of young people which is great because I think it's probably the number one issue is getting young people uh, you know interested in wine uh, it's probably been an age-old problem, but the Hatch seemed to have solved that pretty quickly, and and uh, they took ownership of it. So I I, I like that idea. Hey, uh, cool. I hate asking people what they love, but I know that you're a fan of Cab Franc, and of course Cab Franc is really sort of coming into its own now in BC. Are you yeah. happy happy with all that yeah. progress? Yeah, so so happy. It, it's probably one of the only things that gives me confidence. And what I do is that I think I realized that very, very young, that that was the varietal to work with like 20 years ago. And yeah. I think that's the only thing I've figured out really so far in the 20, 20 years in making wine is that Cobb Franc, I think, is one of, our, one of the standouts around here for me. And I like working with it mostly because on the blending side, that it's a good, um, I, don't know, I always call it canvas, so it's kind of cliche, but a canvas for blending because it's not as proud and egotistical as, as a cap sob or something like that. So you can, <laughs> you can have called Franck and then you can kind of add into it and control where that blend yeah. is going, where if you're putting something like a cop, a BC cop sob in, you're going to get a little bit overpowering. So for sure, Cobb Franck all the way. Very proud. Jason, can we visit you at the winery? Please. Yes. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Drop yeah. by the winery. And check out uh, one of the coolest things is I know that your daughter is an artist as well, and she's uh, she she has some artwork on labels at the Hatch. It's been uh, it's uh, I think it runs in the family. A lot of lot of artistic talent. <laughs> yeah, that was me with some leftover wine, telling my kids like they got five bucks. Who makes the best label first? And I gave him thirty seconds, and <laughs> she kissed a piece of paper with lipstick and drew a cyclops on it with one eye. And and now my other kids are fighting to get their art on they're, it. Other they're five bucks. The yeah. <laughs> but now I'm being told that, uh, you know, the, the royalties aren't big enough and they want back pay and all that. So I don't advise <laughs> wow. to get their wow. Thanks, Jason. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon. We'll catch up with you uh, hopefully at the hatch and uh, for another tasting. Yeah, look forward to it, guys. Take care. Thanks. You too. That was Jason Parks, winemaker of the Hatch, West Kelowna, and this is our special Valley First Edition of BC Food and Wine Radio. Still to come, and Sperling, Sperling Vineyards East Kelowna, next on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. Presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. In the heart of the Okanagan's Golden Mile Bench, the Kalmana Family Estate Wine Shop is open for wine sales every Monday to Saturday from 11 to 3 with COVID-safe tastings Fridays and Saturdays. For those wishing to shop online, Kalmana is offering complimentary shipping for online orders of six bottles or more through the end of February. Kalmana Family Estate Winery, creating wines of excellence through the blending of art and science. For tasting reservations and more, visit kalmana.ca. Barb Holler, owner of Poplar Grove Winery in the Okanagan. I see world-class wines being grown here. I see the potential for growth in the wine industry, in ecotourism, in everything that the Valley has to offer. And on her winery. It is the best job in the world. I'm in the sunshine all the time. I'm looking out over the lake. There's the birds. There's the crew. Poplar Grove, available at private fine wine stores. Join the wine club at poplargrove.ca. Location, location, location. If you've made up your mind to finally take that big step and move to the beautiful Okanagan, 
keep in mind that you don't have to do it alone. The right real estate agent can make all the difference. Let Sean Everest of Remax Kelowna be your trusted advisor as you embark on this exciting new chapter. I'm Sean Everest. I raised my family here and you can too. Visit seaneverest.com and let me help you on your move. And welcome to the Okanagan. I'm sure you're going to love it. Join the Black Hills Estate Winery Wine Club to experience the perks of membership. With front-of-the-line access to new releases, exclusive limited production wines, and VIP experiences both virtual and in-person, you will always stay connected. Plus, wine club members have access to the Vineyard Guest House overlooking the beautiful valley. To find out more, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or visit us at blackhillswinery.com. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. Hey, we're back, British Columbia. I'm Tony Gismondi with Casey Wilson uh, away until next week. Joining us on our special Valley First edition of the show is Anne Sperling of Sperling Vineyards in East Kelowna. Anne is arguably Canada's foremost authority in organic and biodynamic winemaking, uh, which we can't wait to talk about. She was raised on the family vineyard in Kelowna, B.C., and she recognized early on the need for developing and appreciating a fine balance within the characteristics of the fruit and its effects on the wine. She completed her food sciences degree at UBC and has continued her path of learning and exploration both in Ontario, Argentina, and B.C., uh, and she's been in the wine industry now since 1984. Here's our conversation with the very talented Ann Sperling. Ann, how are you? I'm doing really well. Everybody's happy when the harvest is over. There's always a sort of a sense of relief. Uh, do, do, even after all these years, do you do, do you feel the pressure of a harvest? Oh, absolutely. We um, we've got a lot going on, and you know the weather and timing and the season coming to an end is always putting some pressure on us. So every decision has carries a lot of weight and. Uh, some days the decisions mean that you're working, you know, 12-hour days, and maybe it's the sixth one you've had that week. So, um, yeah. so you know, everything kind of adds up by the end of harvest. So it's a big relief when uh, when you can sort of take a little more time and thought with each uh, step that you're taking. Do you have a yeah, favorite part of this busy time of year, Anne? Well, it, there there's uh, there's a category known as crush junkies and for sure there's kind of a a high that you get from working in that environment and um and so you know every year there's kind of as harvest approaches there's some dread but also that that um excitement about you know making wine again fresh wine again from the new harvest so so um for sure you know there's there's the highs and lows are are definitely know more extreme than the rest of the time of year so it's uh something you as a as a winemaker that you know i i i love and you know can't really get uh, a shake off <laughs> uh well you're a bit modest about that i mean you're living in ontario uh with your family there making wine but of course your family winery the sperling winery is is in Kelowna. so how how do you manage uh harvest in two places and how do you how do you maintain uh, uh, being the winemaker in both places? 
Well, um, thankfully, I know the property really well in uh, Kelowna. And <laughs> since I grew up there, I know, you know, all the old vines, all the new plantings, everything that I've been um, working at and overseeing for, for years. Um, so that helps a lot. And uh, we have, you know, all, all kinds of great ways to communicate. And we have, you know, really good courier services. So I can have samples overnight and be tasting the wines the next day with my team in the cellar. Right. So, um, so we, you know, we just use all the resources available and, uh, and, and communicate all the time. So, um, you know, it really helps to have great people um, in, the, in the cellar that I, I can trust. I know their palates. You know, they know my palate. So, so we, we are very um, much on the same page as to what we're, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. We're speaking with Anne Sperling. She's the winemaker at Sperling Vineyards in Kelowna, also working out of Southbrook in Ontario, and uh, with her husband have a property in Argentina. And uh, I, I, it was a good explanation about how you get all things done. Uh, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, being a woman. So much of that is in the news today. Uh, I, 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 you know, I have seen women in the wine business for, for nearly 40 years and never thought much about it other than it was totally normal, but uh, I know that it's not. Uh, have, have you had a lot of challenges or have you had the opportunity to help other women or how, how, how do you feel your place in there is today? Well, I, working in uh, both British Columbia and Ontario, and since the mid-80s, when I started uh, formally in the industry, because, of course, before that I was working in our family vineyard, yeah. but um, uh, I, there were always other women, you know, uh, as peers and, and as um, people to look up to, and um, there, there weren't always many of them, but they were involved in, you know, a lot of capacities sometimes. It was in uh, small wineries with husband and wife teams. Sometimes it was, um, you know, in, in the bigger organizations. And, and uh, so there, was, there were always role models for sure. And I think there were always a few people ahead that were forging the path. And, yeah. um, but uh, lately, the biggest uh, and most important thing has been our wine schools. So we've got some good schools in, in um, BC and Ontario training people and giving them, you know, a lot of skills um, before they enter the industry. So I think that that's really helped to make people aware of the opportunities as well as coming in with a bit more confidence and skills so that they can, you know, step into a variety of roles. Yeah. So I think that it's really opened up for for women. And, of course, um, at a passionate person who's pursuing, you know, wine as their passion and, you know, attending tastings and, and kind of learning on the side, doing experimentation and, you know, making some great wines. I think there's always an opportunity there and the doors will be open. Mm. Uh, you mentioned experimenting and I've been reading about uh, uh, one of my real heroes in hockey, Guy Lafleur, and you're, you're making a wine with <laughs> With Guy Lafleur, what is that all about? How did that come about? Oh well, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a, a funny, a fun and exciting project. Um, uh, I guess it's you know over the years you you make connections, and so like a friend of a friend um, got in touch with us uh, over a year ago. That was uh, both Peter and I, and um, 
and said, you know, I've got a celebrity. We don't want to do one of these regular celebrity brands that you're going to find in, you know, bars and and um, on the liquor store shelf. We want to do something different. And so we, you know, we heard the story. We kind of, you know, were trying to piece together who could this be. And then, you know, then we finally got to meet Guy and we um, we really connected. He's a really genuine, lovely person and wanted to do something, you know, with, with a lot of um, credibility. And so after meeting for about an hour and, and discussing what we might be able to do, you know, Peter turned to Guy and said, you know, let's we, we can do this like you played hockey right at the top of the game. So he was all for that. And so after that, we, um, Good line. Uh, you know, used our, our knowledge and connections of the industry and, and have been in touch with uh, various wineries in order to, you know, taste through barrels, select through various lots and kind of um, cherry pick some really top wines that uh, he can put his signature and that, you know, he enjoys to drink and that, uh, you know, we know are are the very best that are being made in Canada right now. Wow. And tell us the name of the wine and when it will be available. Okay, so from Sperling Vineyards, so you have to buy it directly from the winery or online um, from our uh, website, um, yeah. our online store. It's called 60, so Guy Lafleur 60. So the 60 represents uh, the 60 months that the wine spent on Lees. So it's a spark, classic method sparkling, uh, Blanc de Blanc, dry, so brute uh, finished. And, um, and it also matches up with the 60 goals that, uh, that yeah. he scored. Yeah. So, um, and so it's that Blanc de Blanc. So, sorry, yeah. it's Blanc de Blanc. So I'm imagining it's as elegant as, uh, as he was when he was skating around the rink, uh, just skating circles around people. He was such a fabulous, <laughs> such a fabulous skater. I, I, I've never gotten over seeing him live skating. It was, it's, it was such a thrill when I was a kid, but anyway, uh, I'm excited. You had me at 60, 60 months on the Lees and a Blanc de Blanc. So is it hundred percent Chardonnay? Actually, it's Pinot Blanc. Pinot so, Blanc. Uh, as, well, there you yeah, go. As you, yeah, as you know, we've got some uh, great old vines that uh, are perfect for for making sparkling. So, uh, so that's what we've used, which is uh, a champagne variety, but just you know, not that common. But yeah. uh, but it's you know, with that uh, extended time on Lees, it makes for a very rich and uh, elegant wine. Does it ever? You could have called it Blanc de Blanc de Blanc then. <laughs> yeah. yeah Anne Sperling uh, we are so delighted to have caught up with you today uh, you have so much to offer this industry and we're happy that you are uh, still just chugging along getting her done and uh, we couldn't be uh, more excited to, we'll, we'll, we'll wait for the Gila Fleur wine and uh, of course you can buy any of these wines just to check out sperlingvineyards.wine in, in British Columbia to order the wines. Thanks, Anne, and we'll uh, catch up with you soon. And Anne, a special hello to your husband and winemaker, Peter Gamble. Okay, I'll let him know. Thanks, Casey. That was Anne Sperling of Kelowna's Sperling Vineyards. From Kelowna, we're going to head south for a conversation we have with John Weber of Orofino Winery in the spectacular Similkameen Valley. That's next on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network.
Presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. Valentine's Day. This year, it's simple. No big production, just a cozy evening at home. From fresh ingredients to flowers, chocolates, and the bottle for the table, Savon Foods has everything to make it special. With more than 40 sparkling wines on sale for Valentine's Day, you can pick up everything in one place. Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. Browse the entire collection now at saveonfoods.com and have a very happy Valentine's Day. Have the extraordinary organic wines of Summerhill Pyramid Winery in the pristine Okanagan Valley delivered to your door. When you become an organic ambassador, a portion of every purchase you make at Summerhill goes back into your account, which you can use towards future purchases anytime. Share the love with your friends to earn even more credits. Find out more about Summerhill Pyramid Winery's organic ambassador program and order online by visiting summerhill.bc.ca. It's true. Something great did come out of 2020. Mount Boucherie Estate Winery invites you to join the Boucherie Wine Club and experience first access to their fabulous spring releases, including the previously sold-out Rosé, Riesling, and Mount Bubbles. And that's not all. With your new Wine Club membership, enjoy complimentary tastings, exclusive access to events, and the best seats in the house at the Modest Butcher Kitchen. For more details and to sign up online, visit mtboucherie.com. Hillside Winery is here to serve you, BC. We're offering free shipping across the province on all orders of six bottles or more. Let Hillside deliver direct to your doorstep and give you one less thing to tick off your shopping list. If you're a local, ordering online for pickup is easy and hassle-free. Hillside will happily box up your wines and have them ready and waiting for you. We want to make getting your favorite Hillside wines easy. Find us online at hillsidewinery.ca. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. Welcome back to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi. My partner Casey Wilson is on assignment this week. Uh, joining us now is John Weber. John is the owner and winemaker of uh, co-owner and winemaker of Orofino Winery in the Similkameen Valley. Uh, the story starts back uh, a while ago. John and Virginia Weber uh, began in southern Saskatchewan, uh, in fact, in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, where John was a teacher and Virginia worked as a nurse. The next chapter uh, was a leap of faith, but uh, they followed their dreams and they bought a vineyard uh, in British Columbia's Similkameen Valley. I'm, I'm always amazed at people who, who do this uh, and do it successfully as well. Uh, they started with nothing but a passion for wine, uh, they've built Canada's only straw bale winery that was finished in 2005. And uh, over the time, the couple has learned winemaking from the ground up, taking courses, asking questions, and gaining valuable insight into really first-hand experience about place and time, the key to making fine wine. Thanks to Valley First for our discussion with John Weber of Orofino Winery in the Similkameen Valley. John, how are you today? I'm doing great. Tony, how are you? Well, I'm pretty good. I, I didn't go through the harvest. I mean, I did. I did some work during the harvest, but not the way you did. Uh, it, it's uh, always that time of the year when you're so busy, but uh, I hope you're getting some time to relax now. Yeah, things are definitely slowing down here nicely. 
I, I think a lot of wine geeks know a lot about your winery, but I don't know how much the general public knows. So let's start with Orofino, the name, where you are, how it all began. Maybe what, what motivated you to, to start uh, in the winery and business? And I want to know about Virginia. <laughs> well, yeah, we're definitely a team. And uh, this team, uh, they... This team, we, we moved from Saskatchewan in, in 2001. We were, uh, Virginia was a, an RN and I was a, a high school teacher and we had just decided that we would like to change things up and um, she comes from a farming background and uh, so we thought, okay, let's try to farm something. So we, we wanted to work outside together. We wanted to, we thought we would like to grow something and uh, and so we just looked, looked west and... Uh, we found this really great property in Coston. We really knew nothing about growing grapes. We knew nothing about the Similkine Valley uh, and, until we started looking into it after finding this property. And um, yeah, we, we came out here on a beautiful Thanksgiving weekend uh, in, uh, in 2000 and uh, saw the property and put in an offer right away and then, and then quit our jobs in March and moved here in, in 2001. Wow. Um, the thought, the thought was we would farm, we would, you know, we would, we would grow grapes and, uh, um, and that would be enough to sustain, uh, a living. And, um, and so that's, that's exactly, that's what we started about, started with. Um, I guess from, from there, we, we did grow grapes for a couple of years, but we also kept our other jobs. I started teaching here and Virginia was nursing and, um, we, we quickly, fell in love with the BC wine industry, you know, like <clears throat> coming from Saskatchewan, it, it's not a, it's not a very common thing to have BC wine on the table, but um, it became clear that we actually bought a really great property with, you know, six acres of, of producing wine, of vines. Most of them were planted in 1989. And, uh, and, and the quality was there. Uh, the people buying our grapes were very happy. And so <clears throat> we took that next step and said, well, why don't we, why don't we grow something here and produce something here and uh, and see how that goes? So, uh, I, so that's you kinda, know, that's <laughs> when you say that, I just think, oh my god! Like I, I can't believe anybody could could actually do that and then say, well, let's make some wine. Uh, did you have any heroes or like when you said let's make some wine? Did you even know uh, what that meant at the time? And does <laughs> it look any does it look anything like that today? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely grown from the initial, um, you know, the initial thought and the, and the vision. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I started taking, I took, started taking some classes at, at, at UBC, UBCO here in, in, in Penticton. And, and I took the viticulture class and actually Bill Eggert was my first teacher in viticulture. Wow. And the first, first day he said, if any of you guys are planning on starting a winery, you're in the wrong class. You should be in the wine marketing class. <laughs> and that was that was that was very good advice. It's, very it's, good uh, advice. Uh, and uh, don't tell him I said that though. No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. That would make him too happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we we had a chance to make wine at a neighboring winery um, using their equipment and their knowledge. And uh, so it's that 2003 vintage. That's what we did, and then we built our 
our winery in 2004 and open up in 2005 with uh, about 500 cases of wine to sell. So our initial thought was that, you know, we have six acres of grapes. We'll make, you know, 800 800 cases a, a, a year, and that would be that would be it. That would be great. And uh, I mean, our, I guess our initial vintages were very well received. We sold out quickly, even back then when there was only like three wineries here in our valley. Um, mm. We had some pretty initial good 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 initial success. So, you know, things 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 grew from there. We had had neighbors come to us and say, hey, I've got this land here. Would you like us to plant some grapes? And so that started to happen in 2006 and 2007. And and then, uh, yeah, next thing you know, we own three different, three properties now and farm 30 acres and uh, average about 5,000 cases a year. You built an so, eco-friendly... You built an eco-friendly winery. You're in an area that's known. It's I think it's the largest collection of organic uh, fruit growing uh, acres in Canada. Uh, have you come yeah. to embrace all that as well? Yeah, it's it's definitely something we looked at right from the start. And like our our we our winery and our uh, our vacation suite. Sweets are all certified gold gold level certified uh, green tourism, um, which encompasses everything about our our business. You know, like how we built our our winery, um, like we built it out of straw straw bales, which is very uh, energy efficient way to build. Um, it's solar powered for the most part. Hmm. Um, the way we farm is uh, very considerate. We're not certified organic in our vineyard, but we grow. Um, very uh, minim- minimally minimal input. Um, yeah, all those things are very important. And, and it, it, you know, if we were to choose to do other things around here in our neighborhood, uh, I, I don't think it would be quite as well received. But um, it certainly fits the ethos of, of, of Coston for sure. Yeah, it's well. It's always hard to explain to people <clears throat> about organics, and I'm not going to. But I would suggest that you pick up some uh, Orofino's wines, the Gamay, the Rieslings. Uh, when you taste these wines, you can you can almost immediately say there's something different about this wine. I'm not sure what it is, but I can assure you that it's it's the the way that it's grown and the way that the land's looked after. Uh, and I think a lot of people are coming to that realization across uh, you know across BC. Casey, you wanted to know something about the vineyards. I did, because I love the vineyard called Passion Pit. So who named that? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, a great local story. Uh, the Passion Pit is about um, maybe about three city blocks away from our winery. Um, it's a 10-and-a-half-acre property that we've actually purchased uh, three years ago. Um, and it grows our Cabernet right now, and then we've also got some more Cabernet and some Syrah growing there, which we'll start producing next year. But it's a it's a former commercial gravel pit, um, decommissioned gravel pit. So you can imagine all the rocks uh, in in the ground that surrounds these plants. But it was also known as the local makeout spot. So <laughs> like, <laughs> there's nice. I mean, there's. For like multiple generations, it, w- it was known as the place where you might go and take your girlfriend um, for a snuggle. So, um, yeah, so everybody around here knows it as the Passion Pit. It's not something that we came up with. It was it was named that long before we showed up in two thousand one. So, 
And John, how can we join your wine club, and what are the benefits to join? Yeah, yeah. There's we've got a collectors club, um, which is uh, something we've been running for now for five or six years. It's a really, really good club. The value is really, really good. Um, it's generally two shipments a year. Uh, you get discounts on on wines, but I think the main thing that that our our clients really, really enjoy is that we will throw in on, on 12, 12 bottle memberships, every case that you get um, of those two shipments of year, a year. So twice a year, you're going to get a vintage wine in it. So um, like this past year, I know the, like we had, um, we've kept a lot of our wines back because we're big believers in, in the ageability of BC wine. So like an 09 Syrah went out, uh, 2011 Riesling went out, um, you know, these sort of special bottles that are we've kept aside strictly for our club members. Mm. Um, there's also uh, a nice discount on uh, suite, uh, suite rentals. Um, we've got two beautiful uh, vacation suites here overlooking the vineyard, and um, that's also a, a big draw. Um, also, at, and events, we have, we have some really great uh, dinners that we do here at the winery that, have, that, are, that are always sellouts. And um, our club members get first first shot at that, and they they'll take up all the all the tickets generally. Um, yeah, things like that. I think it's it's been very successful. This year has been terrific. You can sign up online. If you have any questions, you can give us a call, um, and we'll talk you through it. But uh, it's 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 great value, and, and uh, we have a lot of members who have just like year after year continue with the the club. So that's a good sign. Well, I think great. the Orofino Gamay and the Riesling would be great on the Christmas turkey table. They would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> perfect. They're perfect. Yeah. Just like really good, juicy, fresh wines that make you want to have another sip. That's the, that's the goal. John, uh, we really appreciate you joining us today on the show and uh, giving us a little insight into your winery. Of course, Orofino Winery in the Similkameen Valley as you come uh, up to the uh, interior along the Crow's Nest Highway. It's a great way to travel. If not, it's a hop, skip, and a jump over from Penticton across that uh, triangle there. John Weber, owner, winemaker, Orofino Winery. Uh, Merry Christmas, John, and I hope you and Virginia have a great uh, new year. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us on, and and, uh, take care. That was John Weber of Orofino Winery in the Similkameen Valley. Still to come, we round out our special Valley First edition of BC Food and Wine Radio with winemaker Heidi Noble of Joie Farm. That's next on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. Watermark Beach Resort in Asoyuz is taking some time to refresh and renew for the upcoming season. Renovations are underway at the restaurant, but takeout is still available seven days a week. Book now for spring and summer travel to avoid disappointment and discover the South Okanagan good life at the Okanagan Resort that defines easy living. Visit watermarkbeachresort.com for full details and keep up to date on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 
the upper bench of BC's Similkameen Valley, a special place that's the source of some of Canada's best wines. Here, nestled in a sun-laden stony corner of the mountains, you'll find Clos de Soleil Winery. Clos de Soleil blends age-old Bordeaux varieties and a unique Similkameen minerality for wines that are elegant, age-worthy, distinctively terroir-driven. Visit them by appointment or purchase their wines online at clodesoleil.ca with free shipping offered to all BC and Alberta customers on orders of six bottles or more. Blow away the February blues and take a break at Tinhorn Creek. The tasting room is open daily from 10 till 4 for a stress-relieving escape. Join the Crush Club and get VIP treatment, including early access to new releases and more. To keep up to date with their winter wine tastings and special estate-only promotions, stay tuned to their Instagram feed. Plus, the Miradora restaurant will be reopening March 1st with a delicious new spring menu. Locals can start planning their visits now. For details and reservations, visit tinhorn.com. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. And we're back. I'm Tony Gismondi. Casey Wilson's off this week. Uh, we wrap up the show today with Heidi Noble. She's the owner and executive winery of Joie Form Winery. Uh, they're located, of course, on the Naramata Bench. Heidi uh, is a self-taught winemaker with a formal culinary education and professional wine training. I think a, a great combination. We'll hear about why that's helped her to be so successful. She's a proud graduate of the Stratford Chef's School, and throughout the 90s, she's worked in Canada's top kitchens in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Thanks again for the support of Valley First. This is our discussion with Heidi Noble of Joie Farm on the Naramata Bench. Heidi, how are you? It's been a long time. I'm great, Tony. How are you doing? Uh, I couldn't be better. I'm excited to talk to you. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think one of the things that I like the best about what's gone on at Joie Farm is who you were and who your partner was, I guess, before you got there. Uh, you were a chef, and you worked in a lot of important restaurants around uh around Canada, just to name a few. You were at the ROM with Jamie Kennedy, took in Montreal, Il Giardino. Uh, I love that you were at Bin 942 for one day. Uh, <laughs> mine hearts. What vault did you dig that out? <laughs> oh, well. You well, know, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know why you were only there for one day. No, you don't. I don't think <laughs> you That's do. That's a whole uh, other radio. show, Casey. A whole other show. Yeah. Actually, that would be a yeah. really fun topic one day and bring Andrew Morrison in about sort of that archetypal map of how Vancouver's culinary scene really has informed what has happened with BC wine and vice versa, how totally. the wine has informed the food. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to participate you, in that. It would be fun. Yeah, and, uh, and your partner at the time was in a big wine agency. You guys were plugged into international wines, big wines, and what was happening globally. So I guess that's my question. You you seem to me the most prepared people to go to the Okanagan, even if you didn't know anything about running a winery or making wine. But uh, would you say would you say it was a, a, a good way to start, or would you encourage people to, to have that kind of info going in? Absolutely. It was it was our circumstance. Um, both of us had worked on the import um, side of the wine world. My background was culinary, but um, both of us were trained psalms and were working on the import side of the business. So when we entered the wine business, it was a bit ass backwards. We didn't have a whole lot of um, 
hard winemaking knowledge, but we certainly had incredibly trained palates and a really deeply informed knowledge of um, the Vancouver wine trade, the wine scene, the restaurant scene. And essentially after working, both of us, for years uh, in import, you know, we pursued our dream to come to the Okanagan and, and make wine for ourselves. And what informed what we actually started making in 2004 were those huge holes in the market in Vancouver at the time. And that was specifically for good, dry, European-style rosé, aromatic whites, which just happened to be the history, winemaking history of the Okanagan um, in what was planted as proper winemaking grapes here in the late 70s, which in the early 2000s were being uh, ripped out in a frenzy in a race to plant big reds. Um, And that's what we started out making, um, fresh white wine on Oak Chardonnay, Um, That's what Vancouver really needed. There was no rosé in the market at the time. So that's the very first thing that we made. It was all uh, spec, meaning only restaurants could buy it. Um, It was expensive. Um, It would all land in December and not July. (laughs) So we had all these clients clamoring before we even made wine for these very specific things. We knew who bought what and where and what quantity. So that's what we made. We took a lot of, not necessarily derelict, but old, older vineyards that had a lot of pedigree and history in the Okanagan that didn't seem to be valued anymore, but were incredibly valuable to us and our restaurant friends. Uh, wines at the time like Vina Esmeralda and Hugo Janti, you know, very much were the hot ticket item at restaurants like Bin 41 and um, Bin 942 that were serving what was pretty radical at the time, that whole spall plates movement, it seems funny to speak of about that like like that now, but um, people stopped fine dining in sort of the early 2000s in earnest in Vancouver, and everybody was sharing plates. Nobody was having an entree of their own. So wine sales in restaurants had to be very flexible. Um, if you had a four top, everybody was having something different you know, and only ordered one bottle of wine, that wine had to be able to go with a, a real variety of things. Um, mm-hmm. My formal training was also by two Psalms, uh, Park Hasselfinger and Mark Davidson. And you didn't leave that initial International Sommelier Guild program um, without a love in your heart for Riesling. And Riesling was just the thing um, for that kind of restaurant setting. Um, you know, Riesling and Rosé are definitely every server's friend. You know, those wines are so food-friendly. They're so versatile. So that's what we ended up making. Yeah, that was the genesis, early genesis of the Joie portfolio. And how challenging yeah. was that for consumers that were going to restaurants with Riesling and Rosé? Did it take a while before it caught on? Um, you know what? Yes and no. Um, the very first vintage that we made... Uh, two restaurant friends and wine trade friends put their credit cards down on the table even before we had finished the very first vintage. And one of those people was Vikram Beach. And Vikram and I did our, our sommelier training together. And Vic said to me, he's like, Heidi, I trust you. You know, I know what you make is going to be delicious. And sure enough, Vic bought the very first, he bought one skin, the very first palette of Noble Blend, Junk Larides at Marquis bought the other on spec. 
Um, and Vikram and um, his right hand, Mike, were actually the people that put the noble blend out into the world. You could only really get it there. We made such a small quantity of it in the first couple of vintages. And it really helped send an aromatic, proprietary, European-style country wine, which is a very unlikely thing to be successful now that I've said that out loud, into the universe. And it became a real yeah. real cult, cult classic. And I think it was so successful because, um, because of that European, not necessarily pedigree, but that tradition of blending and that blending just leads to a naturally balanced wine in my winemaking opinion, that, that classic Gentil or Edelsvicker blend. And for the listeners that don't know what an Edelsvicker is, that literally translates from German to English as a noble blend. So, you know, I didn't name that wine after myself. We tried to call the first vintage of noble blend Gentil, but that was against um, European trade laws. So we ended up calling it a noble blend as a pun and, yeah, it's an 800-year-old Alsatian tradition. I did not make that up. We just made a really great New World iteration of that. And because it's got the five classic noble varieties of Alsace, and they're very dogmatic about it in Alsace, that's so all you can use, um, we did exactly the same thing. We were, you know, young kids that didn't know how to make wine, but we sure knew a lot about wine. We had really acute, well-trained palates. And so... I mimicked that, that noble blend. I used Gewürztraminer, Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Oxerwa, and Liska. And, you know, those things weren't very valued by other people up here at the time, but they were incredibly valuable for us. So I kind of took that yeah. cue from the old, old world, didn't mess with it, you know, certainly didn't reinvent the wheel or learn. Oh, I really no, wanted I... to, you know, learn to walk before I ran and, didn't mess around with that sapage. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in those old world blending traditions and there's a lot of natural balance. So that just expresses itself as tasty. People are like, I don't drink white wine. I don't drink white wine, but I love your noble blend. Yeah, it was a, it was a good wine from the start. And sometimes I, I shake my head when I see some of the first wines released by some wineries wondering, you know, where are you going to go from there when, when you don't start out leading with your best uh, I want to ask you something. I think it's kind of interesting. You didn't have a tasting room for, I think it was 11 or 12 vintages. Yeah, uh, that's a true story. Uh, then you, we just sold all that wine yeah, to then, our restaurant friends. Yeah, exactly. Then you opened a tasting room, and uh, and now there's a pandemic, and you can't taste. And so <laughs> so in some ways, you're back to where you started. But how, how, what's happening at Joie Farm? How are you functioning now today uh, with this pandemic? Oh, it's really interesting. In 2015, I finally had made enough uh, wine to supply all our restaurant clients, all our longtime dedicated private buyers. And um, when I first opened that tasting room, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. Um, we had been closed to the public for 11 years previous to that when we, we started out as a cooking school. And as the winery grew, we couldn't do all those things <clears throat> So we shut um, the guest house, the cooking school, the long table dinners that we did, grew the winery. And then when I opened a hospitality facility, I just thought it was the Joie superfans that would come. And what was really interesting when I did that is we were absolutely bombarded with people. And most, and they weren't the superfans. They came for sure. But I was shocked that you know at least 80 or 90% of the people walking through the door had never heard of the brand. 
you know, all those years in. And that still continues to this day. And we created a real, I think, tourism phenomena um, with the tasting room. And what I had, it was certainly more popular than I had ever anticipated the scope of it taking. And what I thought would happen is that this really lovely opportunity to gauge with, you know, wine lovers and people that wanted to buy wine where I think what's happened to wine tourism over the past five years is it's become more of a tourism activity more than it's become about the wine. So we really struggled with our initial, well, massive popularity as a destination to actually engage with our guests because we were such a popular destination. And where we found ourselves last year in 2020, when we we could only open on a very limited basis with reserved more bespoke tastings is we found we actually loved that because we were actually able to take the time to spend with people. And I think our guests enjoyed the experience more um, because it was more engaged, was more intimate. They had a more authentic experience and we enjoyed ourselves more. And we found that the quality of guests um, and by quality, I mean, um, people that really were into the experience and weren't just passing by. Um, I think it's something we're not going to go back from. So, you know, COVID kind of forced those protocols forced us into a more bespoke tasting and a pre-booked reserved experience that created a lot of intention and uh, we'll have to continue that this year. It looks like, um, because of the yeah. pro- uh, COVID protocols continuing. But I think by choice, we'll, we'll continue with a lot of this into the future. Heidi, thanks so much. It was fantastic. We'll catch up with you soon. I hope we can meet in person and uh, have a picnic. Uh, I, miss, yes, and- I miss you guys. I would love to catch up by either in the city or up here in the Okanagan. Sounds great. I can't wait to try your Thai or Indian curry. Okay. Sounds delicious. That was Heidi Noble of Joie Farm, on the Naramata bench. A special shout-out to our listeners today in Salmon Arm. Rebel Stoke and Kitimat, thanks for being a part of the conversation each week on Easy Rock. And that's it for today's show. Wishing you all a great weekend. We'll be back next week on the BC Food & Wine Radio Network. That's it for today's show. Tune in again next week for Anthony Gizmondi and Casey Wilson on the BC Food & Wine Radio Network. Presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. BC Food and Wine Radio is a TKS West production. Executive producer, Casey Wilson.